0: Been wronged by someone recently? It happens to us all. Pastor Ed Taylor suggests the following approach. No matter who has wronged you and no matter how they've
1: wronged you, forgive them. Because if you don't forgive them totally and unconditionally, you'll soon find yourself, just like Joab or Abiathar, waging war in another needless, costly battle with more people And more casualties.
0: This is a messing grace. This is a failure. We've all been hurt by the words or actions of another, even by people in the church. And it's at such times we have a choice to make. We can seek revenge, get angry, and even bitter, or we can forgive. Today on Abounding Grace, we'll be encouraged to extend grace and forgiveness to others, just as God did to us through His Son. Now at the first of many studies in 1 Kings, here is Pastor Ed Taylor. As those of you that have studied with us through 1 Samuel
1: and 2 Samuel, you know that he's had some tremendous highs and some real difficult lows and everything in between. And yet even still, we know him today as the man after God's own heart. And we find him in chapter 1 of 1 Kings on his deathbed, as the kingdom is presented with some significant challenges of who will take over the throne Notice with me in verse 1, now, King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he couldn't get warm. Therefore his servant said to him, let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our king, our Lord, the king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom, that our Lord, the king, may be warm. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishag, the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. And the young woman was very lovely. She cared for the king and served him, but the king did not know her. Basically, King David is in a convalescent type of care in these last uh, few moments of his life, and he can't keep warm. It reminded me of my dad. Uh, my dad in his later years just could not get warm. He would even have a, a heater, one of those portable heaters in front of him, not, not even six inches away, but he couldn't get warm. And no matter what you did to put on him, or like David, they put covers on, they put blankets on, and not able to keep himself warm, they called for a young woman to come and warn him. And while it looks, as you were probably read ahead, it looks and seems interesting, this isn't a sexual thing at all has nothing to do with anything sexual. One commentator put it this way. It was customary in ancient times to warm an elderly person, not only by covering him with her blankets, but also by putting a healthy person in bed with him or her. The body heat of the, per, of the well person would keep the older person warmer, and David's physicians chose Abishag to provide nursing care for David, as well as to warm him. And since David was the king, they found a beautiful nurse for him. So nothing weird. Uh, it was customary in that day. Today, we might turn up the heat. Uh, We might put, you know, turn the thermostat. It wasn't so in that day. Verse 5. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, Why have you done so? Remember, this is one of the weak parts of David's life. When you look back in your life, uh, when he looks back on his life, one of the weaknesses that he had, and we see it throughout his life, was his parenting. Uh, At times, we see him doing good things, and many times he doesn't deal with the rebelliousness of his kids. And it might just be a simple word for some of you as parents, being challenged with some of the decisions your kids are making, and you've got to parent them. That's why God put you in their lives. You've got to parent them and lead them in a godly way to a relationship of their own in Jesus Christ. You you can't believe for them. But the Bible speaks of training our kids and pointing them in the way. And here, David, he finds more difficulty. He doesn't rebuke his son. Now, verse 7. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, and they followed and helped Adonijah. But Zadok, the priest, Benani the son of Jehoiada, Nathan, the prophet, Shimei, Rai, and the mighty men who belonged to David were, with, were not with Adonijah. And Adonijah sacrificed sheep and oxen, fattened cattle by the stone of Zoheleth, which is by Enrogel. He also invited his brothers, his king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaniah the mighty men, or Solomon his brother. To me, I'm reading this, and it's another sad episode uh, in the life of David. Here he is on his deathbed, convalescent care, and another son is rebelling against him. There wasn't enough of all the things that he had to endure with his son Absalom. Now in his final moments, he's got another son being taken advantage of, being taking advantage of their dad in this weak state that he's in. Adonijah is David's fourth and oldest living son. He's probably about 40 years old at this time. Amnon, remember, was killed by Absalom, Absalom killed by Joab. And now his eldest son, he thought, was automatically the kingdom would be his. But obviously, Adonijah's not walking in the spirit here. He's not being a godly man. Because according to the Bible in 1 Chronicles, it's already been declared. God has already spoken who the next king's going to be. And that would be who? Solomon. God's already said that. For reference, you can jot it down. First Chronicles chapter 22, verses 9 and 10. So what this rebellion is, very similar to the rebellion of Absalom was... Not a rebellion first and foremost to David, although he's going to take the brunt of it. And isn't that what spiritual warfare is? People's rebellion against God? Who takes the brunt of that? You do. And I do. We suffer the consequences of people's sinful decisions. The Bible speaks of God's heart being broken, but isn't your heart broken from time to time? of the difficulties of people's decisions. That's what's happening here. He's rebelling against God, not just David. So he begins to promote himself. It's a familiar, it's a familiar pattern. He promotes himself and he starts to feel out the people of who will join him. And if you read carefully, he was very selective in who he invited. He convinced, in verse 7, Joab. Joab, we've watched him. There's a word for guys like Joab. He's an opportunist. He is one of those guys that thinks he's so sharp that he can think ahead and plan ahead and align himself. And he's probably still really upset that David appointed Amasa after the rebellion of Absalom was over. Remember, instead of Joab continuing to be his general, David appointed Amasa, which was a wise move on his part. And here he was able to influence Joab. But not just Joab, but also in verse 7, Abiathar, a religious man. Abiathar the priest, a man of God, would join him in rebellion. But Zadok didn't join him. Uh, Benaniah, verse 8, didn't join him. Nathan didn't join him. As a matter of fact, verse 10, he didn't even invite Nathan the prophet or Solomon, his son. It just spoke to me that this kind of stuff happens all the time people wanting to recruit you to their difficulties and wanting to draw you to their side. In my life, I just want to be Nathan. I don't even want to be invited. And when they're thinking about people and they're thinking about a list of people to go, you know, I think we can get Joab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think we can get Aby Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think Nathan would join us. Yeah, that's right. Don't even invite him. Yeah. I don't want to even get involved with that kind of stuff. Isn't life so filled with enough of the things that are in our lives that we don't need to be joined in someone else's rebellion? I mean, we, don't, we, we just keep our eyes on the Lord, be led by the Spirit, let people do what they're going to do, and let people say what they're going to say. But I want to be, like, be like verse 10. They didn't invite Nathan the prophet. Good. Good. I hope Nathan wasn't offended over that. <laughs> I hope he wasn't like, oh, I wish they would have invited me so I could have said no. No, I don't want to be involved. The Bible speaks about us being innocent in that which is evil. I just want to be innocent of it. I don't even really want to be on a list. If some big thing's happening in the church, and we're gonna, now we're trying to take sides. I, I don't even just mean in the local congregation, but you know, we, everybody wants you to take sides, just like Joshua. He was so, in, in Joshua in the battle, he's so worried about the battle. And remember, the angel of the Lord came and met him there. And Nathan asked, I mean, Joshua asked him a great question. Whose side are you on? And you know what his answer was? No. I'm not on anybody's side. I come here, on representing the Lord. And so Nathan and Solomon not being invited was a good thing. And I believe they didn't invite him because they knew they wouldn't participate. That's their reputation. Their reputation was, you know, somehow I think as well, the text doesn't quite say, but I don't think Adonijah is that uh, innocent or he is that ignorant of the Bible where he knows Solomon's next up. And it's just so cool that as they're not being invited into this stuff, it's just that was their reputation. They're not going to get involved. And probably he knew Solomon was going to be the next king, and he's not even messing around with that. And I asked, I was, you know, looking at this, I wonder why they would rebel. Why why would they rebel after all these years? Why would Joab and Abiathar join Adonijah after all that they've seen with with David already? After all that God had got them through, Even after some bad mistakes, God was still gracious. Well, I suggest to you, and you can chew on this, meditate on it yourself, especially for your own heart. Not necessarily for these guys. It's over for these guys, but for us. Could it be that they were hurt by David? That bitterness had taken root in their hearts? As I mentioned earlier, Amasa was named general after Absalom's rebellion. Zadok now has a, prominent place with David as, his, he, as we read through that Zadok has taken more of a prominent place as a priest with David than had Abiathar and they're nursing some grudges in their hearts they're nursing being upset no matter who has wronged you and no matter how they've wronged you, forgive them let me repeat that no matter who has wronged you and no matter how they've wronged you forgive them Because if you don't forgive them totally and unconditionally, you'll soon find yourself, just like Joab or Abiathar, waging war in another needless, costly battle with more people and more casualties. And there were those that just didn't join. There were those that just chose not to get involved. Zadok, Benaniah, and Nathan not even being invited. These mighty men were not with Adonijah. That's, they, they weren't with him. That's what it says in verse 8. They weren't with him. And let that be our hearts, not to be with the rebel. Let that be our hearts, not to be the rebel. But rather to walk in the simplicity of our relationship with Jesus Christ in in forgiveness. Now, when the question with forgiveness always comes up, but you know, Pastor, they didn't ask for forgiveness. Forgive them. And maybe the relationship's not going to be mended. With relationships to be remended and reconciled, repentance is needed. But remember forgiveness. We've looked at this topic many times in the life of David, because in many times in the life of David, there have been a lot of hurt personally. And isn't that true? For those of you that have been around the body of Christ long enough, there's a lot of hurt in the body of Christ. You could say it in a very real way. As believers in Jesus, we are like walking wounded. I mean, I would say that if we had testimony night, there'd be some of you who say, I was hurt the first day I ever showed up at a church, ever. Some lady did this and said, I took her chair and she pulled my hair and I kicked her in. You know, it's like, wow, that was a crazy church. But you know, just just offenses. Jesus said offenses will come. And we're shocked, and we're surprised, and we're hurt because we're human, and and what happened did hurt us, and what happened did crush our spirits. But remember forgiveness? Jesus said this. Jesus said this. Jesus said this, our Savior. He said, forgive others their trespasses, that if you and I don't forgive, he said something pretty profound. I can't really explain the fullness of the theology of it, understanding the grace of God and the sufficiency of the blood of Jesus Christ. But he said something very profound. He says, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. I think that has a lot to do within our relationships, I think. I don't think it's from the Lord. I think that there's going to be a bunch of broken relationships if you... And remember, the idea of forgiveness is releasing someone from a debt, forgiving their debt. Jesus had a lot to say on forgiveness. Maybe that's what we're seeing here. It doesn't really say. But now that we know the history, you know, we've followed through the history of them, and here they are after all they've been with David, they're now joining a rebellion. It doesn't say they started the rebellion. It doesn't say there's a conspiracy. It doesn't say that they've been planning this for years. It just seems to me, just like you and me, given the right opportunity, the right situation, and the right temptation, we'll all sin. All of us will. We'll do things that we'll, we'll just look back and go, why did I do that? So no matter who's wronged you, no matter how they've wronged you, forgive them. Warren Rearsby writes, often in Bible history, it appears that the truth has fallen in the street and equity and justice cannot enter, Isaiah fifty-nine fourteen, But the Lord always accomplishes his purposes. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hand. Psalm 9, verse 16. Adonijah's great feast was the signal David's loyal servant needed to inform David that it was time to name Solomon the king of Israel. Notice verse 11. So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba and the mother of Solomon saying, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king and David our Lord does not know it? Come, please, let me now give you counsel that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go it immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then has Adonijah become king? And then, while you're still talking there with the king, I also will come in after you to confirm your words. Nathan sees all this happening. He goes to Bathsheba and says, Look, Adonijah's declared himself king and not Solomon. And Nathan had this sensitivity about the Lord. He was able, he had this relationship with the Lord, uh, the kind of relationship that God can tell him, go to David and tell him this story. And then when he agrees with you and he flips out and he pronounces judgment on the man in your story, look him in the eye and say, you're that man. So not only to have a sensitivity with the Lord to hear from the Lord, like he is here, he's sensitive to the situation, he's sensitive to what's going on, but he also had the boldness and the courage to do what was right when it needed to be done. And God moves him to get involved. Verse 16. And Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. And then the king said, what is your wish? And then he said to him, my lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now, look, Adonijah has become king, and now, my lord, the king, you don't know about it. He sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he is not invited. And as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne and my lord the king after him. Otherwise, it'll happen when my lord, the king, rests with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. Now, there's an observation here it's very interesting to me. I don't have the full explanation for it, but it's interesting. Maybe you picked it up. Uh, Nathan comes to him, and he says, look, Adonijah's the king, verse 18, and you don't know about it. But when you look back in verse 6, he says his father hadn't rebuked him at any time by saying, why have you done so? Maybe that's a reference to discipling as kids growing up, but maybe it's one of those times when you see what's happening, you know what's happening, but you refuse to acknowledge it. It's a very dangerous place to be where you have full knowledge and you can see it for what it is. And instead of facing it, instead of dealing with it, instead of opening the Bible with someone or, you know, praying and, and really telling somebody, speaking the truth in love— you refuse. And by the time Nathan comes, he, I, he could be just saying, you just don't fully understand what's going on with your son, man. Somebody's got to do that from time to time. You just don't fully understand. Praise God for the Nathans in our lives. With, with our time in 1 Kings, it's going to end pretty well. But it doesn't always end well with that kind of conversation. And it would be much better for us to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and continue to disciple our kids, loving them in the ways of the Lord. Because as weak as a feeble as David is, his wife brings back a little vitality to him by telling him what's going on. There's more crisis in your family, David. Notice verse 22. Now, just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. Why? Because they planned it this way. So Nathan's setting up. He knows what's going to convince David. So they told him, the king saying, here's Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king, his face to the ground. And Nathan said, my lord, O king, have you, have you said Adon- Adonijah shall reign after me? And he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fattened cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army and Abiathar the priest. And look, they're eating and drinking before him. And they say, long live King Adonijah. He has not invited me, even your servant, nor Zadok the priest, nor Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing been done by my Lord the king? And have you not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my Lord the king after him? So just like they planned after Bathsheba's final word, Nathan comes in, he's introduced, established what she's saying is true. And this reminds me, if you're taking notes, just jot it down. Deuteronomy chapter 19 gives us a very important principle when it comes to the need, the biblical need for witnesses. Deuteronomy 19 tells us that there are a need for two witnesses. Let me read it to you in verse 15. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or any sin that he commits, but by the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Jesus picks that up in Matthew chapter 18 when he talks about reconciling, when you go to your brother, you and him alone, and if he doesn't hear you, you take a couple other. If he doesn't hear you, go to the church. This is what he says in Matthew 18:15. Jesus says, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his father. Between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more. That by the
0: mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. You've been listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace and our very first study in First Kings. Pastor Ed, in today's lesson, we noticed the importance of forgiving others. As you know, this is an area many struggle with. I'm sure there is someone listening right now that is harboring unforgiveness in their heart. What would you like to say to them as we close?
1: To those of you listening right now that are dealing with unforgiveness, I have certainly had my seasons of this, and you know that it comes from a place of pain and hurt. It also comes from a place of self-protection, not going to get hurt again. And I would just say, I'm sorry that you're in that hurt, painful place. I'm sorry. I wish that it could just go away. I wish we could close our eyes and open them and the pain would go away. But if it's gotten this deep in you, it's a good chance that that pain's not going away anytime soon. However, what can go away is your participation in it and making it worse by extending forgiveness Now, I know sometimes we misunderstand forgiveness with reconciliation or, wait a minute, pastor, if I forgive, does that mean I have to rekindle that friendship or anything like that? Let's just start with forgiveness. Let's just release the person from the debt that they owe you, the debt that they owe me. Let me just extend forgiveness and begin praying that right now. And who knows what God has in the future, but I'll tell you what he has through your forgiveness. He has released you from the bondage of bitterness and anger. And there is a great resource I want to put in your hands for free. All you need to do is email me. I literally send these out by the hundreds every month because that's how many people are wrestling with this topic. It is a little pamphlet and some other resources on forgiveness. Just email me at ed at edtaylor.org. Make sure it's ed. Taylor.org. So ed at edtaylor.org is my email address and ask for the forgiveness resources. And I will return that email very quickly with a whole list of things you can print out and you can read, especially this little pamphlet. God's ready to minister to you. And again, I'm sorry uh, that you're so hurt and it's been, it, it is, it's difficult and it's hard, but the Lord is faithful and he loves you and you don't have to live in this self-imposed prison anymore. You can choose to forgive in the power of the Holy Spirit.
0: Here in the month of July, we picked out an excellent book from Warren Wiersbe we think you'll benefit from. It's called The Strategy of Satan. In it, Warren Wiersbe discusses basic biblical instruction that will help you defeat the strategies of the devil. You'll learn about Satan's attacks as the deceiver, destroyer, ruler, and accuser, and discover how to conquer the enemy by obeying God's truth. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for The Strategy of Satan. Our number is 877-30-GRACE. Again, that's 877-30-GRACE. You can also order online at calvaryco.store. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. And as we continue delivering God's Word one verse at a time... We're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call 877-30-GRACE. There is much more to come in First Kings. Join us each day as we go through each chapter and verse on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, and online at aboundinggraceradio.com.